Welcome to the Questioning God podcast with John Hopper. I'm your host, Blaine Larson. This is a resource produced by Search, an organization committed to having conversations about the big questions of God and life. And this episode is all about chapter four. How can a person believe in God in this scientific age? John, where do we begin to think about this question? Well, first of all, what a what a great question. Not because I bring it up in the book, <laughs> but because people, you know, they, they ask it and I think they've got good reason to ask it. Science has brought us so many good things, right? So and there are a lot of things we didn't know and we know now because of science. And so people kind of wonder, does God really fit into that? In fact, it seems like science and God are at odds with one another. And yet, um, I think that if we just look, Blaine, at, say, the scientific community itself, we have reason to believe that they, they must not be at odds. And the reason I say that is because there's an awful lot of scientists right, that have— uh, stated their beliefs in God and have pursued their science uh, in light of that belief. So, I mean, we have all kinds of sort of people. We can look at Isaac Newton, or we can look at Michael Faraday, or Galileo, or you know, Johannes Kepler, or Sir Francis Bake. I mean, there's all kinds of people like that. And even, you know, you say, well, yeah, but those guys are kind of old, you know, what about more modern people? But we see people like uh, George Lamatra, who was uh, behind the Big Bang Theory, or we look at Francis Collins, who's still the director of uh, the National Institutes of Health. He's Dr. Fauci's <laughs> boss, right? So, so there's an awful lot of people that uh, are in the scientists that believe in God and share their belief in God. So that should make us a little bit suspect about saying, well, they have to be at odds because here's some really bright people that don't see them at odds. And then beyond that, I find this really interesting. I, I, I've known uh, of a gal named Elaine Howard Eklund. I, I've had some personal interactions with her. She's a professor at Rice University. And her expertise is to study what scientists believe about religion. She's done the largest studies across the world uh, interviewing and surveying scientists and what they believe about religion. And interestingly, in looking at scientists at the top research universities around the world, only 15% of scientists see religion and science fundamentally at odds with one another. So it would seem if we say that science and religion or Christianity are at odds with one another, we're actually kind of not even fitting in with the, the, the scientific community. So, um, uh, that should sort of make us relook at this question. Well, it's fascinating that you bring that up because I often hear people say that science is about reason and Christianity is about faith, and I'm a person of reason over science and, you know, over faith or whatever, mm-hmm. vice versa. So. Right, right. Yeah, so we do see that. We do hear people say, yeah, I'm a person of reason. I'm, 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 I'm not a person of faith. And, and I think there's a... I think there's a, a misunderstanding there. So people often use faith as a religious term. And so they say, well, you know, so faith is in this sort of religious category and reasons in the scientific category, and you can't really mix the two. And I don't think that's sort of a proper way to look at things. Faith is really simply what we exercise when we believe something to be true, okay? So now we may have a lot of, evidence for that belief, or we may not have a whole lot of evidence for that. 
belief. But faith is simply what we exercise when we believe something to be true. So let's say, for example, that uh, you go to some mountain lake and there's this great boulder there that you can jump into the lake, right? So, But you've never jumped into the lake from there, so you don't know how deep the water is. And it can only be two feet deep, and so you're going to jump off 20 feet. You'll hit the bottom, you'll get injured. But you uh, just jump in. You've exercised faith when you've done that. Now, I would say that it's kind of blind faith, right? You know nothing (laughs) about the depth of that water. But at the same time, you could have, before you jumped in the water, taking you know, measurements of the depth of the water. You could have watched 100 people jump in before you. And so in that case, right, you would still be exercising faith that you would be able to jump in safely, but you would have done so based on good reasons. And so when we look at, say, the claims of Christianity that is calling us towards faith, what we really have to look at is, are those claims based on good reason or not? If they are, then our faith is well-founded, right? If, if they aren't, if there isn't evidence there, then it is kind of blind faith. But just because we have faith doesn't mean we haven't exercised reason. We could have exercised a whole bunch of reason by looking at the evidence and saying, based on this evidence, I have faith that this actually happened. So why do you think that people have fallen into this trap, this science versus faith dichotomy that is real prevalent out there? I think probably, Blaine, it, it kind of stems from these two assumptions that, that often get um, sort of pushed or forwarded. They're sort of they're underlying assumptions that we, we, we don't even necessarily recognize, but, but they're often sort of pushed upon us. And and the, the first assumption is what is known as naturalism. And, and naturalism is this idea that all there is is nature. Okay? There is no supernatural. All there is is nature. Um, but you can't really use science to prove naturalism. So science is a tool for looking at how nature interacts with nature. But science is not a tool that allows us to look at whether there's something outside of nature or not. In fact, Francis Collins, who I mentioned earlier, the head of the NIH, he said this. He said, science is limited in that its tools are only appropriate for the exploration of nature. Science can therefore certainly never discount the possibility of something outside of nature. To do so is a category error, he says, basically using the wrong tools to ask the question. And so, you know, one of the illustrations that I I use for this, Blaine, is if I took a metal detector and went out on a beach and and I sort of combed the beach with this metal detector, and then I came off the beach and I said, there's no oil under this (laughs) this beach here. Uh, Like, it doesn't follow, right? Because that tool is only made to detect metal, not made to detect oil. And science is really great at detecting nature, but it, it's, it's a tool that is really insufficient to detect whether there's the supernatural or not. But we have this sort of baked-in sort of assumption that nature is all there is, and, and science proves that. No, science only tells us about sort of how nature interacts with one another. It really can't tell us whether there's something outside of nature. So that's our first assumption related to naturalism. What's the second assumption? The second assumption has to do with what's known as scientism. 
And uh, scientism is, it's really the belief that the science or that science is, is the only or most reliable source of information. And I think there's a number of reasons why this assumption's on shaky ground. Um, the first is that that very claim, the claim that science is the most reliable source of information is not scientific. And what I mean by that is you can't test that scientifically, right? You're just taking that as a belief, right? So you're taking that by faith <laughs> because you can't, you can't scientifically prove that science is the most reliable source of, of uh, information. So that puts that assumption on shaking ground. But there's some other reasons too, is that I'm not so sure that scientific information is always, you know, better or trumps information that we get from maybe historical records that, that isn't from some, from some scientific process. It's from a historical review. For example, if, if I had cancer and the doctors came to me and said, hey, we've been looking at some of these new studies and, and we're confident that this new treatment will you know, cure you, um, and then I was given a test as to whether maybe somebody asked me in a survey, do you believe, which, which are you more confident in, that Shakespeare lived or that this cancer treatment will cure you? I would say that it was Shakespeare that lived. Now, I'm really hopeful and maybe, you know, there's 90% chance over here, but if you're going to put sort of the two next to one another, I am more sure that Shakespeare lived than that that cancer treatment will make me, make me well. And yet that, that piece of knowledge that Shakespeare lived is not gained through any scientific process. I can't put that in a lab somewhere to discern whether Shakespeare lived or not. And so, so I'm not so sure that, that really scientific knowledge is just automatically of greater trustworthiness than knowledge we gain from other sources or other means. And then a third reason why I think this assumption of scientism is on shaky ground is because I think a lot of people, they say, well, okay, so maybe it's not always more reliable, but it's more valuable. The information we get from science is more valuable than we get from other sources. And I, I think to myself, really, like, for example, um, if my father was dying and I went to go meet him in a hospital somewhere, and, uh, and his last words to me are, I love you. Okay. And I remember those words, of course, and they're extremely valuable. If nobody was there, they weren't recorded, there was no video. I can't prove that he actually ever said those. Okay. But I'm very confident that he said those. And in fact, those words are more valuable to me than any scientific explanation of his death. So this idea that science is sort of more trustworthy in what it tells us and more, and more valuable the information it gives us, I'm not so sure. Like, again, those words, I love you, probably are far more valuable to me than any sort of scientific explanation surrounding his, his death. So, so I just don't think that this assumption of scientism is, is, a, is a worthy one for us and sort of cancels out the idea that, that anything about God or um, religion or Christianity is unimportant.
Well, that's a really great point, and you gave us an extra bonus reason, too. We were supposed to get two. We got three reasons, <laughs> three answers to that question. So thanks, John. So, okay, so I can see that you're making the case here in this chapter that Christianity and science aren't necessarily at odds with one another. Uh, how do they really work well together? Let's flip it on its head. Let's ask a positive question. How sure. can these play nice together? Yeah. Well, you know— if- It's very interesting, Blaine, that if you look back on sort of what's the philosophy or worldview in which the scientific revolution was built, it was built on the Christian worldview. There were some very intelligent ancient cultures that weren't able to sort of bring forth the scientific revolution. And so you have to ask, well, why is that? Okay. Well, take, for example, in Greek culture, Greek culture had a very low view of the material. The spiritual world was highly thought of, but the material world was not highly thought of. And so, you know, even some of the great Greek philosophers, they came up with some great ideas, but they never tested them in the material world because that was beneath them, because the material world was beneath them. It took a Christian worldview that said, no, God made this world. The world is good. We can test it. It's worthy of us. We can get our hands dirty even doing it, and that's a, a good thing. And so, Christianity then sort of gave even sort of birth a foundation for getting dirty in the lab. So, um, or a lot of ancient cultures and even sort of cultures around the world today um, see gods as inhabiting nature. Like you don't want to really disturb them because <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen, right? So, but a Christian worldview says, uh, no, God made this world. He's not inhabiting this world. He's separate from this world. We can investigate nature without, without fear. So again, sort of Christianity provides a great basis for, for science. Or, or, or many religious beliefs sort of see God as acting sort of capriciously, like you never know what he's going to do. <laughs> and, and Christianity sees God as an order, as a, a God of order. And he's made the world in, in sort of an orderly way. So it, it's worthwhile investigating it. Um, um, and then I think also Christianity sees uh, us as um, creatures made with a rational mind that can understand the way that God made this rational world. And so these pieces of the Christian worldview really set the stage for the scientific revolution to uh, grow out of it. Um, and that's why I would say we have the scientific revolution we have today, um, because Christianity um, provided those, those roots for it. Well, John, this has been a fascinating conversation about chapter four. How can a person believe in God in this scientific age? Next episode, we're going to be talking about chapter five, Don't Christians Use Their Faith as an Emotional Crutch? And if you haven't already... Go pick up Search's new book, Questioning God, Answers to Questions Worth Asking. It's available now at questioninggod.com and on Amazon. We look forward to seeing you next time back here on the Questioning God podcast with John Hopper.